And so here we go. Hi and welcome to this week's call, an episode of Planet Positive Ventures. My name is Julian Guderlei. Um, we are a global think tank, a capital advisory and accelerator to serve and address humanity's most pressing needs in a symbiotic existence with nature. And so a warm welcome to my co-host and the founder of Planet Positive Ventures. Hi, Peter Crane. Welcome. Thank you, Julian. Thank you, everyone, so much for being here. Um, this community is as vital to the work being done around the world to um, allow humans to thrive in harmony with the planet. And that is our core mission is providing um, support to the, the climate solutions that are scalable and that will allow us to live in balance and reciprocity and harmony with the earth. So thank you all for being here. And I'm looking forward to uh, hearing from our presenter. Yes, today our virtual gathering is featuring David Mullings. Welcome, David. Thanks for having me, Julia. Yeah, it's a pleasure. David Mullings is the founder, chairman, and CEO of Blue Maho Capital Partners, a private investment firm focused on Caribbean public and private equities. A seasoned entrepreneur with experience in the finance industry in Jamaica and the USA, most recently serving as investor relations specialist for Left Brain Capital Management, a long biased hedge fund. He is the director of fund, blackfounders.com, an advisory board member for both the Development Bank of Jamaica Mentorship, Innovation and Entrepreneurship Program. So with these words, welcome, David. I'm excited to hear what you have to present with Blue Mao Capital. Oh, thank you very much, Julian and Peter, for extending this invitation. Thank you to everyone who is here this morning. And I love starting with this positive energy. So shout out to Brian for, for that, that energy, man. I love it. I feel very Jamaican right now. I think we should embrace you as a long lost brother. So, <laughs> Amen. So, so, so I want to make sure we, we do something that hopefully when you, when you leave, you say, you know what, Jamaicans really are very positive and always, you know, we, we iron everything good. So I'm going to show, share my, my screen. I did have a presentation and I want to, to walk it through. Uh, the idea is that we need to create an impact fund. I, I was born and raised in the Caribbean, in, in Jamaica, left Jamaica at 15 to go to university. I started university in the United States at 15 years old finished at 19, and I have a bachelor's of science degree in biology, minored in chemistry and religion. Ended up playing soccer in Jamaica for a year. I came back and did my MBA at the University of Miami. I completed that at age 23. So my background comes from the sciences. I ended up learning the finance world, and I want to be able to combine those two. And so here's, here's what we're working on now. We want to launch this in, in January 2021 with a vision towards 2030. The idea is that the Caribbean is a very overlooked region. Everybody talks about Latin America and the Caribbean, but they forget the sea. They're all investing in Latin America and nobody's really investing in the Caribbean. It's an area that we all know. We know it for sun, sea and sand. We visit it for, you know, from tourism. Some of us are investing down there on the call center side. But we haven't thought about the social impact opportunities, especially around climate and uplifting people. There's a reason there are so many Caribbean people who live outside of the Caribbean. They live in the United States, in Canada, in the UK, and we continue to have a brain drain, and it's because of a lack of opportunity. And the lack of opportunity is due to a lack of equity capital flowing into the region. We don't have enough risk capital. We don't have a strong startup ecosystem down there. And that, that poverty and vulnerability creates this vicious cycle of continued brain drain. And the IDB says that you know, the size, geography, and location of small island states, since 
that makes them particularly vulnerable to climate change. These are islands, beaches are going away. They won't, will not be able to depend on tourism for much longer at this rate. And COVID certainly has taught us how vulnerable these islands are. Once tourism collapsed, a lot of them got into major trouble and had to seek you know, loan deferments or seek you know, funding from the multilaterals like the IMF. Uh, the IDB points out that the region needs more resilience. So when you look at the Caribbean, we have some very common natural hazards. Obviously, the first one we think about is hurricanes. That has been a big issue as a hurricane strengthened and have you know, severe intensity. Drought, interesting enough, is a huge problem in the Caribbean. You would think that we're surrounded by ocean, but that's salt water. That's not fresh water. So we do have a problem with droughts. We have a problem with clearing land which then loosens the soil, which then leads to landslides. Haiti is a, the best example of that. And of course, sea level rise, heat waves, if the temperature is going up, we obviously have a problem as well. So those are some of the issues that we think are priority. Uh, I want to give you some quick facts. I want to make sure you understand where we are coming from and how I see the Caribbean with Jamaica as the core. Jamaica's Blue Mountain coffee is the most expensive coffee in the world. Japan is our largest market. We export 15 million US dollars of coffee per year. And these are mainly small farmers that are benefiting from those exports. In the last two known habitats in the Western Hemisphere for the giant swallowtail butterfly are actually in Jamaica, in, in the Blue Mountains and the Jonker Mountains. And there's a type of cotton called Sea Island cotton. It comes, it competes with Egyptian cotton. The sea Island cotton is grown only in Jamaica and Barbados and is the finest cotton in the world. And it costs five times more than Egyptian cotton. Now, under British rule, Jamaica produced 22% of all the world's sugar. So it has a lot of arable land that has been shrinking. We need to be protecting that. And we need to be smart about how we use it. And then Jamaica is actually home to the largest solar power installation in the entire Caribbean and one of the largest wind farms. And that wind farm was built by the government and then they took it public. They listed it on the Jamaica Stock Exchange last year. And what they did was they allowed every single Jamaican to be able to buy into it. So Jamaican citizens actually own shares in the solar power. Well, in, in both the solar power installation and in the, the wind power installation. But we have problems. The Caribbean has simple problems. Number one is poor water management. That has been an issue, and that's why we have droughts. When we do have rains, we don't collect that water. It runs off and actually washes away uh, the topsoil. We have major issues. We have a food security problem, even though we have very large land availability in some of these countries. So Belize, Guyana, Jamaica, Trinidad, Tobago, Barbados. We actually have a food security problem. But that's partly because of predial larceny. That's because we're not investing in modernizing agriculture. We don't have much mechanized farming. It is very expensive to purchase the equipment. And in fact, it is easier to buy a pickup truck in Jamaica to get a loan from the bank to buy a pickup truck than to get a loan to buy the tractor. We have a waste management problem. These are islands. We are producing waste. We don't ship the waste off the island. We dig a hole and we bury it. Sometimes they don't even dig a hole. It's just piling up. If you've ever been to Cayman, you can know which days garbage has been dumped because it wafts across the entire island. And Jamaica has a problem with, with fires in their dumps. And this picture on the right is actually a recent fire that was in Jamaica, the main dump, the Riverton City dump, which is near to Kingston. And this causes a major hazard from a breathing standpoint for the people who live nearby. And these economies need to be greener. We need to play our part, even though we are a small contributor 
the you know, greenhouse gas emissions, we do have to play our part. And there's no reason to be importing expensive foreign oil that requires US dollars to then power our economies when we are known for having a significant amount of sun. There has to be more renewable energy that's included in our energy mix. Access to finance is a problem. That's a problem in the developing world in general. And this is not just access to bank accounts, but this is access to low interest opportunities for people to be able to scale their businesses. I didn't realize how bad this problem was until I worked in Jamaica. I worked for a group called Jane Small Business Loans. I was at their parent company. I was assigned to interview their top clients across the country. And what well, I was supposed to do was to find out what do they need to do for the next five years to scale this business. So I got to meet the farmer who took their stuff to the market from the rural areas. I got to meet seamstresses who would sew uniforms for boys and girls in Jamaica. It was amazing to see that the wide cross-section of business. But I was shocked to see them borrowing money at 1% per week and still managing to turn a profit. 1% per week is what these people were paying. Uh, interest rates are, have started to come down, but it is still fairly high. We need to improve access to finance. And of course, the last one that I care about the most is that we have a limited international mentorships for entrepreneurs. We simply do not have that strong of an ecosystem within the region. Most of the businesses are owned by families. They've been owned for generations. We only have two accelerators. I am a mentor for both of them. One is Ten Habitat based in Barbados. The other one is the Branson Center for Entrepreneurship. So we need to see more mentorship so these companies can be globally competitive so they can think bigger. This is, you guys certainly know what Sir Ronald Cohen has said. You know, we are now living in a time where people care about investing in a way that is going to do good and do well, right? Our values are changing. Young people, I'm born in 1981. We don't care about just making money. And we, we care about the fact that we don't want to inherit a problematic planet if we don't do anything. We need to do something now. People my parents' age care about the fact that they're retiring now and the world is actually worse off than the world they grew up in. So we think there's a huge opportunity to tap into unmet needs and to fulfill uh, some purpose for other people. We see transformational change as a huge opportunity in the Caribbean region. This is just a select few. Obviously, we're using the UN SDGs as a guide, which is not perfect, but it is a guide. And number one is, is sustainable development. We have been clearing land and building buildings and covering it with concrete. We need to be smart about the way that we develop our cities. We need to not have urban sprawl. We want to see green buildings. We need to focus on water conservation in the region. We need to modernize agriculture. We need to do less water-intensive agriculture. We need to improve yields of our products. And we need to reduce the cost for these farmers to participate in, in a global economy. Agribusiness is a huge opportunity. And COVID showed how disruptive you know, things could be for countries who don't have access to these products in terms of growing them at home. We say upgraded infrastructure as a huge opportunity. Renewable energy, renewable energy is, is really key. And that has been slowly getting there into the Caribbean. But again, we need to do that more. And we want to see more pedestrian friendly roads. We want to see less cars. We have not designed that way in the Caribbean, even though we are small islands with concentrated populations in cities. We need to see increased access to finance. 
and we really want to improve waste management, right? recycling and reuse. We need to reduce water pollution. We've seen beaches that have been eroded or beaches that have a lot of plastic washing up on there. We've seen erosion of fish stocks, which hurts a lot of those farmers who live on that, the fish, the fish farmers, right? the fishermen and fish farmers. We think these are really important and we can play a role. I had a Jamaican put these together. He went to school in Vancouver and I said, in, in, in 10 years, I want to see a Jamaica and, and a Caribbean that looks like this. Why don't we have a more efficient public transport system with a metro rail going through the most urban centers in the region? Why don't we have indoor farming, which would solve the predator larceny problem and would allow us to not worry about drought, could be much more efficient and why aren't we seeing better roads, better infrastructure uh, with a focus on, on walkability and, and rideability? So we want to show and not tell anymore. And why, why should you even care about investing in the Caribbean? Besides the fact that you love our music, you love our people, and you love our beaches, why? We see the Caribbean as a gateway to Africa. We have the similar uh, social economic conditions. We have similar problems. We have similar cultures. If we can solve that problem in Jamaica, in Barbados, in Guyana, it's a similar problem in Colombia, in Brazil, but it's also a similar problem in a much larger market. This is Ghana, Rwanda, Nigeria, and so on. And we already have those linkages and relationships. So we think of the Caribbean as an R&D hub, an R&D testbed. Investing in that area will allow us to scale into even larger markets and allow the twinning of economies. We think that these are smaller economies, which makes it easier to test in them. It's easier for us to have, have measurable impact, and it's a lot easier for us to get government support. And these governments are, it's easy for us to meet with them. I probably went to school with one of these people. That, that's pretty much what it is. And proximity, it's extremely close to the United States. I am in Miami. It is an hour and 10 minute flight to get to Jamaica, to Kingston. It's very easy, $250 round trip. We are English speaking. And it's very easy to monitor the investments that we have made. It is a very Americanized culture. They're familiar with whether it's Silicon Valley or the private equity side. So it's very easy to monitor. Africa is much further. Latin America is going to have a language barrier. And of course, we're globally known. Everybody knows the Caribbean, whether it's Sun, Sea, and Sand, or Jamaica, or Bobsled Team, or Bob Marley, or Usain Bolt. But we are overlooked for investment. It's almost as if people think that we're very laid back, everything is perfect in the islands, and nobody's making any real money. But there is significant capital being deployed in the region, and it's being made by people in the region and elsewhere. Uh, our plans are very simple. Originally, I wanted to launch a $20 million impact fund that would focus on the Caribbean. This is an underserved and underrepresented group of founders in the in the global space of capital being deployed. We've been talking to a number of people and they've all asked us to do a $100 million impact fund instead. That would include BIPOC, so you know, Black, Indigenous, and people of color in the US and the Caribbean. They felt that the problems we were trying to solve, a lot of those also are faced here in the United States. So we are considering that and we're open to it. And I'd love the feedback from this team if we should actually scale up and do a larger fund that covers both the Caribbean and the US because of the similar problems. And our model is very simple. We, we looked at both the VC world and the private equity world. I have been a tech founder before. I do prefer the private equity world and, and the way it scales. I'm not a huge fan of the power law, I'll be very honest. 
And, and so we were looking at a private equity model, standard 220 uh, GPLP structure, and we wanted to provide growth capital to help scale existing ventures. That was the key. We want to focus on existing ventures and helping them to scale. We do see an opportunity to help seed uh, the ecosystem in the region by partnering with an early stage fund to help them get going because we will have a pipeline problem. We, we simply will not be able to see 100, for example, existing businesses that could scale. So we're going to see a limited number. We need to help see that over the next you know, few, few years. Uh, we have two investment opportunities that we want to give you an example of what would we be looking at if somebody had provided us a check. The first one is, is Instant Save JA. This is a Jamaican company that has focused on water conservation solutions. I met them five years ago. I was presenting at the Jamaica Stock Exchange Conference and I invited the founder to come and speak. She's you know, Jamaican, has an MBA, family-owned business. Uh, I've been really impressed. I mentor her. We speak once a month. We provided you know, 12,500 US dollars so far to help her scale the business. And we're really impressed with what she could do. And this can scale up to the rest of the Caribbean. So, so she needs help and resources. Uh, the second one is, is Eco Renew Solutions. This is a Haitian company that wants to combat the pollution crisis. So they're focusing on recycling. They do land and sea sweeps. This one again is going to be to scale across the entire region and could even be paired with a waste to energy company if somebody has that relationship. So these are just two examples of just scratching the surface. If it was public that an impact fund existed that was focusing on the Caribbean, we would have a number of new opportunities that would float into us and then our team would sit down and be able to evaluate that and have some advisors look, look at us as well. And so here's the team. The team at this point is myself, David Mullings, my COO and advisor, Aurelia Cruz, who is based in Miami. We're bringing on Bianca Wells, who is based in Jamaica. I did her MBA with me here at University of Miami. More in the tech field, works in finance. And she had to bring Founders Institute to Jamaica. So she has a really good connection with early stage men, um, well, early stage mentors and early stage founders in the region. So that, that's someone I trust. We have a question mark because we, we want to bring on at least one more person as a GP for this fund who preferably has more experience in the impact space. And the, the measurement, that, that's going to be very important for us is the measurement of, of impact. Now, why, why should he even give us any money? Why should he better us? Why should he support? Well, we, we have experience working in the United States, in Latin America, or really has worked with Colombian companies. And in the Caribbean, I've worked in Jamaica, Barbados, elsewhere. And we've been mentors, we've worked on company builder programs, and we continue to support entrepreneurs. So we have the, the pipeline and we understand what it takes to do this. The second reason is that we have experience with early stage investing, uh, private equity, and, and the hedge fund side. The hedge funds won't come in as much, but the private equity side, lower middle market in my case, investing in the Southeast US, I think is going to be really important in helping us to identify how these companies need to scale. We have very strong government and multilateral contacts in the Caribbean, whether it's the IMF or the IDB, the CDB, the Caribbean Development Bank. And ultimately we're going to do it anyway. Right? We're going to do it anyway. This is something that, is, that has to happen. This is, this is at the core of my purpose of being able to give back and turn a brain drain into a brain gain. So that's why that's why you should bet on us. We're going to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. How can you help? 
uh, well, this is what we've arrived at is you know, we're looking for individual LPs to make a $100,000 minimum commitment. We were looking at institutional LPs to make a $1 million minimum commitment. Uh, we have some individual LPs that we're now lining up. We have no institutional LPs yet, and, and we really would love to have one as an anchor to get the show on the road. We're looking for leads for the portfolio. We would love to work with companies who are maybe not in the Caribbean as yet and get them to look at Jamaica, Barbados, Trinidad, Guyana, and so on, and, and open those doors for them and possibly partner with them. Or if you have access to deals in the region, well, bring them to us. Let's look at them. And of course, lastly, is that we want guidance. We really do need guidance on measuring impact of these companies. I am very worried about the greenwashing that I have seen. I think that too many people are simply adding the word impact to their fund in order to raise more money. We want to ensure that we don't fall into that trap, that we're not here for a cash grab, and that we really are here to make a, a measurable difference, a tangible difference in the lives of the people who live in these countries and who benefit from what we can do. So that is how you can help. This is my contact information, and this is a quote that I close with. It's, you know, business as usual cannot continue because business as usual has been destructive to our environment which is required for our survival. And that's my cell phone number. Our email address is david at bloomahocapital.com. And I will open it up for, for questions at this point in time and stop sharing the presentation. Well, David, thank you so much. That was a fascinating presentation and very well um, articulated and um, excited for the work you're doing. Uh, I've, I've not been to Jamaica yet, but I've always, um, it's on my bucket list because as a huge Rolling Stones fan, I read Keith Richards' autobiography and he'd spent lots of time down there playing uh, with local musicians and uh, I've always really wanted to visit because uh, wow. he, he really likes it down there and, and uh, it must be a beautiful culture, rich with a lot of music and um, good vibes. Um, so I have a few ideas that um, I just wanna throw out and we can obviously have a, a, a thorough debriefing and discussion um, separately from this call, but. Uh, I'd love, I'd love for the Planet Positive team to explore how we can help you, um, you know, source capital for your fund, uh, and also do it in a really smart way that would engage, hopefully, the government. And um, one, one thing we've looked at is, uh, to the extent the government owes debt, is, um, is kind of getting on the same page around, you know, debt relief in exchange for protecting biodiversity, and then with the land that's earmarked and secured by the government as UK, you can't, this has to be, um, you know, maintained as a biodiverse zone, but then with, you can invest in that, uh, for example, for, you know, clean energy and agroforestry in a way that um, creates economic opportunity for, for the local people um, so that they're, they're still, um, they're, there's like, you know, increased GDP and job creation um, but you're still really honoring the land and protecting that land and, um, and, and creating business that are, businesses that are sustainable and green and eco-friendly and clean energy and, um, and uh, you know, food security, water security, and all those things are possible with the tech, technology that's out there. And we'd love to help you explore how to you know, create that ecosystem of outside investment, um, you know, government um, facilitation and, um, you know, amazing people like yourself, um, that are working really hard to make it happen on the ground there. So I honor you for that. And thank you for your, for your service to the world and the planet. 
Um, and uh, also um, would love to discuss with you separately uh, some friends of mine that are in in the uh, you know export business. You know, getting there's some if you're if you're involved with the coffee business. I know some coffee exporters, and um, and we could also look to uh, other products that can be grown with agroforestry and regenerative you know agriculture and having them um, you know be uh, you know Jamaican uh really amazing products that you know everyone's going to come to realize that only jamaica can make it this good and and so forth so yeah thank you i'll 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 uh, i'll uh, let other people talk now but i just wanted to put a few ideas out there for us to follow up with and uh yeah thank you it's actually a perfect segue from what we have a few uh, raised hands yeah go ahead you mind if I real quick? there's a way that i could potentially hate help you david with uh, some of the things that you asked people first from the perspective of funding as well as lead and, and deal flow so uh, one of my projects right now, I'm in uh, conversations with the government of the Bahamas, uh, because uh, given that they've lost their entire uh, tourism industry, they're looking at building uh, an entire green tech, blue tech, agri-tech, and uh, impact tech hub uh, in, uh, uh, in the Bahamas. And so uh, I'm working with several of the resort owners, with the government there, with a couple heiresses and heirs that own the Port Authority there about building out an entire ecosystem that's COVID protected, where we bring in um, folks who are investors, uh, entrepreneurs, and experts uh, into the Bahamas to live, co-live, co-work, and so forth. Uh, there's a lot of funding from the Bahamas government for uh, green tech and blue tech and impact tech companies. Uh, they also have a deregulated environment where those companies can test out their uh, their products and they have quite a few customers right there um, to to immediately roll out to so i'm happy to have a conversation with you separately to uh, potentially introduce you to some of these folks and uh, there's a couple of billionaires that i'm engaged with as well that are super focused on uh, on blue tech and green tech so um, uh, this might be a good fit i don't know yet uh, i want to learn a little bit more but i'm happy to make those introductions for you no I appreciate that, and I've spent. I go to the Bahamas twice a year. I'm close to the Holden family, obviously. And in fact, my father taught the current prime minister of the Bahamas in medical school. So, so the Bahamas is very important to us, and I love that you bring that up. That, that's great. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Brian. We have a few different uh, raised hands. I'm gonna give my best, but I, I see someone is unmuting from a phone call. So I'll pass it to you first, um, just because we get a lot of background noise as you were telling. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. It, yeah. Oh, yes. This is Joanna Moreski speaking. Can you hear me? Hi, hi Joanna. Yeah, we can hear you. We can hear you well. Hi. Hi, Joanna. Sorry about the background noise. Hi. That's why I'm by phone call. But hi, hi, Peter. Uh, really quickly, David, you may be aware of uh, some of these facilities, but I worked extensively with a group called Pidge uh, that's worked extensively throughout Africa, and it's focused on the early figuring out how to finance the early stage risk for the longer term, more involved infrastructure projects or shorter term startups are a whole different story. But when you're dealing with waste management, renewable energies and so on, as, as many of us know, the development timeline horizons are extensive and it's the early stage capital that is really challenging to source. So what PIDGE is, is a group of multilateral agencies and pension funds that have come together to create a whole suite of facilities that help finance the early stage development. They, have separate financing facilities and so forth. They're focused mainly on African Asian and it was launched out of the UK and they've galvanized over a billion dollar of funding for Africa. But I think some of their models and tools could be, if you're, if you're unaware of them, 
just looking at them, and I could talk to you about it further, some of the way they've approached some of these financing challenges might be interesting to you and happy to talk about it with you further at a later stage. Definitely. I would love to research them and speak with you about that. Def, thank you for that. Awesome. Thank you so much, Joanna. And um, if you can, if you have a, a availability to chat, make sure to maybe share your email address so Peter, David, and I can follow up. Yeah, no, Joanna and I have been in discussions for quite a while. I can definitely okay. put anyone in touch with her that, that wants to uh, follow up. Perfect. We have um, another raised hand from Brian and Lena. I'm going to pass it to Lena first. Go ahead, Lena. Hi, everyone. I wanted to just clarify a few of the basics in terms of the structure of the fund and so on to have a better idea of which pools of capital may be appropriate for this particular fund. And apologies if I missed some of these details in your, uh, in your presentation. I got an urgent text, so I missed a few minutes. Um, the first question is, what are the expectations for this fund? Is this expected to be a market rate return impact fund or a concessionary capital fund? And then related to that, the stage of investment, how many investments you're expecting to make, let's say with the assumption that it is a $100 million fund as opposed to the 20 million um, initially intended. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, what does a an example of a, um, investment that's a fit for this fund look like in terms of stage, sector, any other relevant parameters that you've set so far? No, thank you for that, Lena. So I didn't cover that in here. Uh, so you didn't miss that part. It is, it is a traditional 2020 fund, 10 year life, but, but a private equity model, not a VC model. So we're not looking for you know, the power law model, 15 investments and only two or one return the entire fund and the rest fail. I, I really don't like that idea. but. I, I know where it fits. We want to be at the growth stage where we reduce risk. So it is not a concessionary investment. We intend to get market rate return, like real risk adjusted returns that happens to take impact into consideration because whether or not you want to measure impact or, or pay attention, it exists. Like the investment either has a positive or a negative impact. We too often in, in, in the traditional capitalist world have ignored risk is like using EBITDA, which ignores depreciation as if it's not a real cost. That, that's a real expense. So market rate returns, that, that's the first thing. In, in terms of industries, we are sector agnostic. We really are looking at the UN SDGs. Now we start with, do we understand the industry that this company is participating in? That's number one. Number two, do we like the management that is working on this? Like, that matters. Founder, you know, founder market fit matters to us just as much as product market fit. But then we also need to look at, does it have the ability to scale beyond that island, beyond the Caribbean and into Latin America or, or Africa, or, or here is a USN that can scale into the region and get bigger. So, so the, the potential market size matters to us in a big way. In, in terms of what a potential investment would look like, the ideal scenario would be between you know, 1.5 million to three and a half million dollars going into a company, which means they would already have traction, they would already have a core management team. They now need to add some more people who are more seasoned at scaling. As we know, you pretty much only have three levels of people. You have the people who love working on startups. You have the people who like scaling companies, the scale-ups. And then you have the people like me, typically, who have MBAs and come in to help manage existing profitable large businesses. We need to get into that middle piece and provide the resources to them. We think it's very hard to start with a startup stage because the ecosystem just isn't there 
that from a support system to help these people. They will not get follow-on capital because there is no follow-on capital. So we need to be the follow-on capital when they graduate from the Branson Center or graduate from Ten Habitat. We are that follow-on capital that is not going to take 60%, 80% of their business or 50%. We've seen some really bad deals in the Caribbean. Uh, in terms of how many we can get, I, I firmly believe that when we invest in a company, we should hold back at least the same amount of money for additional capital to provide to them. Uh, I think that's, that's, that's a mistake. If you have 100 million and you invest all the 100 million in just the companies with no support system after 18 months, the risk of failure is a lot higher. So we'd actually deploy 50 million into the companies. And if you did a two and a half million dollar check, it, it pretty much makes it clear that we need 20 investments, uh, roughly. I think that's a fairly concentrated portfolio. It allows us and our team to spend more time helping each of these uh, groups as well. A lot of these entrepreneurs would not have been educated in the US. They wouldn't have done an MBA like what I did. They don't have, you know, they haven't been paying attention to Harvard Business Case Studies. They haven't been looking at African examples or, or African examples, so, you know, Asian examples. So, so we're going to need to be more handholders and company builders alongside. So a portfolio of 50 would be, would be too much in my opinion, uh, certainly at, at the start. If we had a much bigger team, it's different. But if, if you have a first-time fund with $100 million, you need to keep the lights on and then support the first 20. So 20 would be the target. Two and a half million to three and a half million is an ideal check size. And I hope that answers all the questions that you, you had. It, it does, and I, I have an offer also. One of the areas of expertise I'm known for in the impact world is designing impact assessment criteria for funds and so on. So I'm happy to be Please. helpful there because I think that um, often that approach is um, could be a more systemic approach in terms of sourcing the companies and then also not just using a checklist to select companies, but then helping them manage to those outcomes once you've invested in them. So I'm happy to follow up with you on that piece as well. Thank you, Lena. My email address is in the chat. So please email me. We are badly in need of talking with somebody with your expertise. Will do. And, and really quickly on that topic of screening potential portfolio companies, um, you know, not only is it incredible to um, encourage impact uh, through your investing, but in fact, um, there's, there's significant ample and uh, overwhelming data to uh, indicate that as an, as an investor, um, especially at scale, there's not only significant risk to not considering uh, the impact of biodiversity protection on your balance sheet, um, but also it's a significant barrier to maximizing returns. So um, that's something that we can help, um, you know, that theme, develop that theme. And um, I think that could also, um, you know, help with, um, you know, the package that you present to, to your funds, investors and so forth. So we'll, we can talk about that in, in a separate conversation as well. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. My pleasure. Peter, thank you, Lena. And um, Brian from Harrison, you um, were having a question and there's a conversation about algae in the chat as well. Yeah, um, thank you, uh, Julian and David. It was great to hear about your uh, impact fund. Um, and uh, during climate week, um, a, a year ago, we actually were invited down to um, Jamaica and uh, the Sea Combinator and Climate Foundation presented um, the results of our work on sargassum and seaweed 
to the uh, Ministry of Tourism, what was very interesting about that meeting and collection was the kind of matching that we're seeing, you know, across countries, Commonwealth nations, let's say, uh, from Australia to uh, the, to Jamaica to uh, Canada, where um, you know I was impressed with how progressive and um, advanced you know the Ministry of Tourism is in Jamaica. But furthermore, they they are clearly in a need to be able to transform the economy to some extent. And so uh, it just struck me that the potential for non-dilutive matching funds was quite profound. And along those eyes, uh, along those lines. Um, our partners at C Combinator are working quite a bit to turn the challenge and the liability of sargassum and now making significant progress to producing the food feed and fertilizer products that are gonna be enormously valuable. So that's uh, ramping up. Uh, Jamaica is one of our favorite places to do that. So it may be another um, thing to add to your list uh, and I'm happy to put you in touch with the C Combinator folks. Um, but anyway, this idea of non-dilutive matching funding from the right ministries with then uh, the Jamaican government has worked well for us and other Commonwealth nations. Oh, thank you very much for that. And we are in talks with the, the Ministry of Tourism and the Ministry of, of Science and Technology, as well as the IDB and the CDB do have some facilities to match. So, I mean, somewhere in the $5 million range. And then obviously on the US side, what was OPIC it has now been merged into DFI. And so we have access to, to significant capital from them, you know, really, see really, really low interest rates, 10 years, we put up two million and they, they will put up eight. So we are excited to have a project today to show them we need to get over our first hurdle. But yes, you are very, very right, Brian. And I, and I'm, and I want to definitely talk to the Sea Combinator guys. I think that it's a massive opportunity for the Caribbean, Jamaica in particular, had some massive blooms that had seaweed washing up on our beaches and just horrible. And they, and they just scraped up the seaweed and then tossed it. We did nothing with the yeah. seaweed. So. Where, you know, the, the irony is that's actually going into methane in the landfill. So we're avoiding 10 million tons of methane at the same time that we're producing 10 million tons of products. And that's how much sargassum is being produced each year wow. in the Caribbean and the Atlantic. Soon to be 20 million tons, uh, you know, based on the Brazilian policies, uh, where we're seeing more and more runoff coming down the Orinoco and the Amazon River basins. So we've got to be ready, but I'm convinced we can build an industry that can valorize all 20 million tons of sargassum per year. And looking forward to working with uh, island, big ocean nations like Jamaica to really make this work well. We'll be in touch, thank you. Yeah, Excellent, thank you. And that, that seaweed in other ways can definitely be utilized to, to create um, fuel such as hydrogen. So um, uh, th that would be a really interesting project to explore. And on the note of encouraging um, investment and um and attracting entrepreneurs do you happen to know if uh jamaica has any uh visa or passport incentive programs for investors and entrepreneurs so, so jamaica doesn't have a, a visa incentive program that's more common in turks and caicos antigua and so on we make it very easy you don't need a visa to come to jamaica so let's start with that you know, we, we don't have a visa you can just land that's not an issue uh, and we we are looking at and the program that Barbados and Bahamas have implemented where you can come and work for a year and, and essentially domicile there but not pay taxes. We haven't launched ours as yet, Jamaica is okay, but Barbados is, is ahead of that. Well, no, we've never done my investment in Jamaica. That really was, St. Kitts was the pioneer and you guys followed that, Turks and Caicos. So, yeah, you know, that might we be can talk to them. Yeah, be definitely worth having a conversation about because especially in, in times like these, 
uh, investors really like having additional passports <laughs> for right. reasons. So yeah, that, that could be something definitely worth exploring. No, for sure. Here we are. This is your host, Julian. Thanks for listening. I hope you truly enjoyed this episode of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast and received some insights, knowledge, and a form of learning that you can directly apply to your life, relationships, and business, and the way you show up as your best self for the world. Did you know that we just launched a participatory Patreon asking you for your contributions of content and gifting a monthly subscription to our shared mission? The Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, video interviews, and community is growing, and together we can make it count and carry big ripples. So go and check out the Patreon. It's linked out in the show notes of every episode. The Patreon for Green Planet, Blue Planet, and the community we're building together. Thanks for choosing to support with your time, money, or content. And that being said, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe, review the show, share it with a friend, spread the love, and have yourself a stellar day. All the best. Mm -hmm.